Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. We've been going through the book of 1 John 5, right? And it's been an amazing experience. The context of the book, as you know, most of you know, is that there's been some people that have left the church and they were, they were on, you know, straight heretical tip or whatever, and they're coming at the church and they're sitting amongst the people and they're causing divisions, right? So the context of this letter, right, is that John is writing to the people, the believers that remain. And like, so he's having that conversation where he's like, he's trying to put a battery in their back. Like he is encouraging them. He is talking to them about identity. He's having that combo. Like, so right now we're in the last chapter of 1 John 5. So whenever I get to the last chapter of a book, I'm always pay attention because almost the flow of how he's talking and how he's writing changes and he's making those statements. It's like when you see somebody for the last time, you say some stuff to them like, hey, I want you, I'm going to hit you with that stuff. You know what I'm saying? You know, when my son leaves my house, I usually hit him with a pound. I'd be like, don't let the door hit you or the good Lord split you. I'd send him with some stuff, something real or whatever, right? I'm just joking, but y'all get where I'm coming from. But he's talking about prayer, right? I think this is super important because I think we have a culture where people are just like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Y'all doing all that praying and talking and all that, but you need to do something real. That's often the real statement, right? Because you need to do something real. I preached about that a couple of weeks ago or whatever. There needs to be application, but like we are believers. So he's making the point. He's like, prayer is an important part of your identity in your relationship with the Lord, right? Our church, God has done so much for us over the years, so much faithfulness, right? This last year, we've bought a building. We've redone the building. We've got a rental property for our kids to go to. We have a contract across the street with Second Mile to put Second Mile there. We're looking at a very long, long story for what we want to see God do in the community, right? It doesn't happen overnight. But I'm going to tell you what does put the, the pedal to the metal, right? It's prayer. So I really desire, one of the things when I'm preaching this, I hope you catch the heart, I desire for us to be a prayer church, or as my charismatic friends would say, some prayer warriors, right? Bible says the harvest is plentiful, right? It said, but the laborers are few. He says, so pray. He says, pray. The next thing he says, so pray about it, right? So I, I want us when we drive into this neighborhood to not just go like, like be nonchalant about it, but like your heart to be stirred to prayer because it means something, right? It means something. Your neighbor's in the seat next to you. It means something. We need you to play, pray, right? We were in, we, we do a, a neighborhood forum here at the church with Second Mile the last Tuesday of each month. It's not as big as we want it to be, but it's so fruitful. And one of the things that's fruitful about it is that when people show up out of the neighborhood, right, we get to hear their heart. I was listening to a young lady this past week, and she was just talking about growing up in this neighborhood, now as an adult, being in the neighborhood, and her grief of looking at the neighborhood, right? Another older lady talked about her grief for watching some of the young teens just get swept up in the mess. You get where I'm coming from? There's people here who are like, Lord, do something, right? And we ain't here to save the neighborhood, right? People of Jesus been here before we got here. We need to throw our prayers right up in with theirs. So it always stirs me like, man, you understand what I'm saying? 
So I need us to be praying, craving the prayer, loving to pray, right? We need, we need a prayer team. I need, I need somebody. What, look, I want somebody after this to be like, yo, where the prayer team at? Let me get on this thing. You get where I'm coming from? So let's get into this verse, right? It's 1 John 5. We're going to be in, uh, we, um, we're going to be in verse, uh, verses 13, and we're going through verse 15, which I think on the slide I type. Oh, I did. I got it right. I thought I typed 16. Anyway, let me read this to you. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him, right? So we're going to go verse by verse, line by line, right? So he says, I write these things to you who believe. On the previous verse, John says, I'm going to do 11 and 12 of the previous verse. He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. That's what, that's these things he's talking about, right? He's referring to this statement he's making about the eternal life that we have, that we've been given as a gift from God, and he is making this point for us to know that this life is in God's Son. It's in Jesus Christ. He's talking about intimacy. He's drawing a very sharp contrast. Life versus no life, right? He's saying this life we have is in Jesus. A couple verses prior to that one, he tells us that the Spirit is the truth. The life is given at salvation. The Spirit comes to reside inside of us when Christ saves us by His grace. But it's being perpetuated in our intimacy, our daily Spirit-led walk, right? I don't know if we think about this enough. Let me, let me, let me, let me highlight some things for you. Let me highlight some things for you. The idea of walking around Knowing you have eternal life. If you watch Avengers, you, Thanos don't even got eternal life. Let's keep it real. Tony Starks don't got it. They took my man out, right? Eternal life. So he says, he says, for you who actually believe. It means that, and we talked about before, believing is not just like, it's knowing and it's actually leaning into it, Right? So where people are like living fear and they're scared and they're like, yo, how in the world could you be in a neighborhood like this? Or like, man, you dare going to approach this person? It ain't that we don't use wisdom, but we also got a different kind of boldness that comes from having eternal life. If you actually believe it. You get where I'm coming from? Soldiers run into war. Not because they think they have eternal life, but they believe in their cause, right? This is eternal life he's talking about. But having eternal life makes you the richest in the room. Just think about it. Everywhere you go, it means something if you actually believe it, right? You've been given a gift. It's hard for us to digest, but we have to chew on this or whatever because this is where intimacy comes. And the spirit that is truth is always testifying this to us. It gives us hope in our present suffering. In Romans 8.18, says this. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Paul, he's talking with eternal life in mind, right? He's talking with justice in mind also. He says, revealed in us, this glory that's going to be revealed in us. And it says the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That text, if you keep on reading Romans 8, it talks about how the earth is actually moaning and groaning. Does anybody live in this world and look, turn on your, your, your phones, look at social media and see all kind of crazy stuff and moan and groan and grieve? Does anybody, you felt like what in the world is happening in the world lately? You dealt with any of that lately? It says the earth is groaning, right? We're supposed to see it. I preached to you a little while ago. It's called good mourning, the good kind of grieving. If you're a Christian, he says, blessed are those that mourn. So if you ain't mourning, it means you're not seeing. The scales have not fallen off your eyes, and you still think it's Disneyland out here, right? So present suffering, awareness of it, is a part of it. Eternal hope is a part of the joy inside of it. Grieving, but knowing that there's a promise, right? It's a part of knowing when you see gross evils happening with people or when you look inside of the mirror and see your own sin. It's a part of knowing that this flesh that we have one day will, be fall, will fall off of us. It's a part of knowing that there is a judgment where it looks like people can just do atrocities and just treat people anyway, because there are some people who are, the Bible says, the child of Satan. There's no reasoning in conversation. They love evil. They love destruction. They've devoted and given themselves to it. And it seems often like they just win. Because this world is shaped like that. That's the world. It has room for that. But not in God's kingdom, right? There's an eternal promise. The eternal promise comes with justice, with judgment. Everything is going to be brought into the light. Y'all with me so far? I might start it off too serious for y'all. Well, I tried to hit it with some jokes on the front end. Y'all over here looking at me like it's, like it's crazy up here, all right? It's freedom from fear and the threats of death, right? 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to read a bit much because it just was so juicy when I got on the text, I had to keep rolling with it, right? It says this, it says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we will be unclothed, but that we will be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I don't know if you caught it, but the whole front part of this is about groaning. It's about grieving. But then it makes an exclamation point. 
about this eternal promise and this, this spirity we live in being swallowed up in life, right? It's a whole narrative about eternity. So this eternal life that he's speaking of gives us boldness and confidence. So let's talk about confidence in this next verse, right? I'm going to go back to 13 and read into verse 14. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And like I just showed you, it's expedient for us to know this, for us to dwell on the fact that we have eternal life. And then it says in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So John is relating this idea of confidence in prayer, right? So this mourning, this burden, this stuff we carry in this world, although we've been given eternal life, he sticks prayer in the middle of it, right? This confidence, this believing, this knowing, it's confidence. It's relationship. It's not wishful thinking, right? It's not a, like approaching uh, a, a stranger on the street trying to get a dollar and just hoping that they may be generous to spare you a couple dollars. It's about closeness of heart, right? If any of you heard my, my, my video advertisement that I did for service today, I told a story about my friend. Me, me and Lana were stuck on the side of the road on 95 or whatever, like in St. John's. It's freezing cold. I got like 10 of the kids with me. And like a tree had fallen on the little, like, you know, because like, you know, the car like turned off, but it's still got, still rolling. I'm like, yo, it's a, it's a restroom area, like, you know, up the way or whatever. If I could just roll a coast, and then I get on this little bridge that's mad thin, and there's a tree there. So I'm like, I hit the brakes, and I'm like, yo, we're too close to the highway. Like, I can't even open my door, right? So, you know, I get out. We coming up the highway, mad late at night. I'm holding a baby. My little pitiful back is, I'm over here just thugging it. I can see the lights of the restroom joint, whatever, and stuff. It's mad dark. The kids are freezing. It's like the woods. I call my man because I know if he picks up the phone. You get where I'm coming from? We have a relationship. I know if I hit his phone, if he gets this call, if he ain't out of town, he's coming. Picks up the phone. I tell him the situation right off. He's like, Jay, where you at? He's like, where you at, bro? He's like, yo, how many kids do you got? I'm like, I got, I got like 10 of them. He's like, all right. So I'm bringing my wife too or whatever. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I'm bringing my wife or whatever. He said, we both coming. And you know, I had confidence. Now I got a little timid in the middle of it. I'm like, yeah, bro, I'm so sorry to hit you. He's like, bro, shut up. Send the address. We have a relationship. I, I, I just knew. You understand? It's confidence we have towards God that we can ask anything. He is talking about relationship, intimacy. In Hebrews 4.14, it says this. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now listen to this. Please listen to this. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find help and find grace to help us in the time of need. God understands. He empathizes with our weakness. He's whatever you face and you struggle with, he's been with it. He's been there before, right? All of it. I don't care if you struggle with lust. I don't care if you struggle with just irresponsibility. I don't care if you struggle with laziness. I don't care if you struggle with arrogance, with pride. God has been tempted with these things. Jesus has been tempted with these things, right? And so he says this thing, and this is what makes this, this scripture, because this thing I do where I betray my intimacy with God and I act like I'm just too dirty for him to come close to. And then I kind of throw him the cold shoulder like, you, you understand what I'm saying? I'm a mess, God. I don't feel like praying. It says he empathizes with our weakness. And it says that he's been tempted by everything, but he didn't sin. And it says, it says but yet he did not sin. And so when he says he didn't sin, it's not him flexing on you. It's him covering you. You understand? Let me, let me break it down to you like this right here. Y'all know I always have these stupid example stories, so y'all bear with me, whatever. They're usually on the fly. Um, you got a friend that's extremely rich. Your whole crew is going on a trip. Where are we going on a trip to? Y'all pick the spot. Where are we going? Come on, somebody say something. Hawaii. Okay, Hawaii. Where else? Where else? Who else? Where are we going? Egypt. Okay, there you go. Anybody else? Come on now. Y'all ain't traveling nowhere. We ain't got no globe trotters up in here. My, what you said? Bali. There you go. There you go. My man's going to Kuwait next week or whatever for a year. And he showed me a picture. I was like, you out in the desert? He was like, showed me the picture. I was like, something look like the Jetsons, bro. It's beautiful. All right. So put it in your mind wherever you want to go. So the whole crew is going on a trip. Your pockets is looking ugly, ugly. They're looking ugly. You've been there before. You know what I'm saying? You know, everybody order a main course meal, and you like, I just, I just ate, man. Like I just had some crackers. You know what? I'm gonna have. Just hit me with some water, and no, not the bottle kind. Just tap. Just hit it with the tap. You been, you know what I'm saying? And so your pockets are ugly, right? Your friend, money is super long, and he's like, yo, don't even sweat it. I got you. And you do your little thing. Nah, you know, I don't want you to do all that. I don't want you to. I don't want to be a burden or whatever and all that. And your friend's like, nah, yo, you got to go. You got to go. And y'all argue back and forth. Then they just like, yo, I already got your ticket, everything paid for, whatever, this and that. Then y'all argue over that, right? And then your friend tells you this. He says, you don't understand. There was a time I didn't have it, and my friends had an abundance, and nobody raised their hand to pay for me. I know the shame. I know the loneliness. I know the struggle. I've been there. I know how to protect you in this situation. Your ticket is paid for. Accommodations are upgraded. And I didn't deposit 20000 pocket money in your account so you could just ball out and get stupid McNoopid out here in Bali or Hawaii or wherever else we see. Egypt, right? Kuwait. You can go crazy out here. I'm rich. So that means we rich. 
Y'all get it? He's playing on a relationship level that's different, right? And then above things, he or she says this right here. I just want you with me. This trip is going to be whack without you. Right? You're creating distance, but you've completely missed the relationship. And you completely missed who you're dealing with in their heart. Is this not how we size up with God all the time? God is saying, you know, I empathize with your weakness. I know what the struggle is. Whatever you faced, I've already faced it. That's why the throne of grace is wide open. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's why I'm covering the ticket. That's why I'm covering the cause. Because I know what it is, right? That's why you can approach with confidence. Only relationship, only real intimacy will allow you to approach with confidence. This is why John uses the word for those who believe. And we look back in, some, in, in John's previous text, right? And when people say, John, what is the work we must do to be down with the king? You know what I'm saying? When, they, when, they, when they're talking to Jesus, they, they say, Lord, what do we got to do to be down? He says, the work is this. Believe, right? There's nothing in between this intimacy that is blocking and keeping it from happening but believing he is who he is. Is he this generous? Did he really die on the cross? If you grab it, does he really give an eternal promise? Does he, did he really come and die for us while we were dead in our trespasses? So the fact that you think you can get dis disqualified because you are stumbling or having a hard time, that's nothing but the enemy, right? It's like telling my man with the trip or whatever, like, I can't go, man. On the next trip, he's like, hey, I got you covered on this one. Bro, man, I'd have been kind of crazy with my money. I got a little debt racked up. I don't even deserve to go on it. What are you, crazy, bro? Like, I just covered, have you forgot? How often we forget. We have to remember to remember. Y'all with me so far? God wants us to have confidence towards him. I just think about this relationship thing. I was talking to my counselor the other day, and, um, and we, started, uh, we started talking about Job, right? In Job 31, Job says something that's so crazy, right? But when you start off and you read the book of Job, it says, like, Job was like a man of God, right? It says he was a man of God. Like, I mean, like, he was about that life. In an extraordinary way, right? But in, 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 in Job 31, his friends are coming at him accusing him. Job has had, I don't even know how to call it a hard time, but like one of the most terrible events you can imagine. And he is covered with boils all over his body. He is, he is down and out. You get where I'm coming from? Like he's down as down could get before you hit the grave. And his friends roll up and they kind of like, yeah, homie, maybe you did this or whatever. Like, maybe God's getting at you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Maybe you, and they just come in with the accusations. And Job makes this statement. And I can't say it, but he, he says it. He says, if I have ever walked past the poor, if I have ever 
turn my back on the widow, the fatherless, any of that. If I've like looked at my riches and just sat and marveled in all that I have attained in my own flesh and like celebrated myself, he's like, yo, let my arms disconnect from my body. Like this is the statement he says. I'm not playing with that statement. I'm not saying it. Because my joint's going to be laying right on the ground just chilling. I'm not saying it. But he said it. Most of us, our friends start coming out as we like, yo, I don't know. Maybe let me see. Joe was like, nah, B. I don't roll like that. I don't move like that. And he hinges the whole statement. And his posture and this towards God. He has confidence. Right? He has a certain confidence in God that's different. A confidence in the way he sees God. It's not pride and arrogance. It's in the relationship. He's like, I, I know I'm walking. Like, I, like I, I, know, I know I'm close to him. Like, you don't tell me I don't know him that well. I know him that well. I'm laid out with him. He's, he's with me in it all. And you get where I'm coming from? Job is literally like one mean anti-evangelical church culture machine. Because all of that he's just saying or whatever is completely opposite of the way we posture ourselves. We do idolize money. We are doing a pitiful job with the fatherless and the widow, right? Job is like, nah, I know God. This stuff isn't vague for me. I'm not unclear about it. He has a relationship. Rest of that text says this. It says, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God would ask, have us to ask anything in prayer. It's not implying that anything we ask for will be granted, but it's saying that anything in the sense that we can pray about it and we can bring it to God and we can conversate about it. God cares about all of your life. Not when you just feel like doing religious mode. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're feeling real churchy and spiritual. You understand what I'm saying? He cares about all of your life. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. If you're a parent, you desire for your kids to talk about it, everything. Right? When everything is healthy, you want them to have conversations. You understand? You want them to talk. You want to know how they feel about things. You want to know them for real. God wants us to talk about anything. He wants us to whatever we're struggling with. The stuff that we are ashamed to tell anybody else, he wants us to bring it to him. Thankful, mad, angry. God, I'm feeling like you ain't looked for me, but watch my back in there or whatever. He can take all that. Right? Let me show it to you in the scripture. In Luke 22, just a few hours before taking up the cross, Jesus talks to God. This is what he says. It's Luke 22, 39. It's not going to be on the screen. It says, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into, temp into temptation. And he withdrew for them about a stone's throw. And knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will be yours, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus is praying to the Father in his darkest hour, right? And he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Jesus took advantage of the freedom to pray anything. He knew what was about to happen. He prophesied already what was going to happen. But nevertheless, he ain't playing super hyper spiritual Christian like, yes, Lord, mighty warriors of heaven, we're going to go and kick down the doors of hell and we're going to take captives or whatever. He's like, dead. I feel with your plan and all that. I ain't saying that you don't got that thing together. I'm just saying, is there another route that we can actually go in this situation that involves me not dying? And, and that cat of nine tails, them whips on the back, can we, can we do something else? They ain't got no Nerf guns or nothing, right? He's, he's being human. He's being human. Lord, Take this cup away from me. He expressed his feelings. Get me out of this situation. But then he drops this one. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He tells the truth. Takes the opportunity to pray anything. He takes the opportunity to tell how he really actually feels. But then he also has a resolve. God, I may not like it, I may not want it, but I actually am yielding to your sovereignty that you know better than me. That even if it hurts me, even if you slay me, I know that there's a purpose and there's an intent, right? I know you're still going to bring fruit out of it, right? I know that you're playing here is the way, even though I don't like the way, right? You, ha you have to hinge something like that on an eternal promise. I don't like hard stuff. I don't like going through hard seasons. I'm 46 years old now, I think I'm 46. I can't even remember no more. I've been through some horrible seasons. I've been disabled. I've had to walk around with a walker with the little tennis balls on that thing. You know what I mean? I had to walk around with a cane for years. Been through so many surgeries, I can't even count them. It's not the way I would have chosen it to be. But God has been in all of it. I don't even always understand it. So I'm not even going to sell it like, yeah, it's been so magical. But I just know God has been there for all of it, right? There are things that I would run and do in my own strength and leave God in the dust if I wasn't slowed down. That's just me being honest. That's not me trying to spiritualize it. That's just me being honest with myself and my sin. I can't run as fast as I want to. But if I could, I might leave God in the dust 
But because I got a limp, that joint makes me have to stop like, God, I don't know how to make this happen. And when stuff happens, I'm like, my God, it's not the way I would have chosen. it. And it's only by God's grace that I could say, not my will, your will be done. But if I could see it coming, I'd be like, scratch that. No, nah, forget that. You have to ask yourself about this confidence with God. Do you believe? Listen to how God responds to Jesus' prayer. It says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him and being in agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground so God hears him he didn't remove the cup he didn't remove what he was about to go through he didn't remove the pain and agony he didn't forfeit death for another option and his whole crew still denied him and deserted him All of us who believe are here because Jesus said, not my will, yours be done. Because he didn't take off. Because he put, he put that exclamation point on his prayer. Because he had intimacy with the Father. God just gave him strength to accomplish his will, but he didn't remove the obstacle. You see that? Verse 15, I'm going to begin to close with this right here. Verse 15 says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. You know, prayer, it causes intimacy with God. That's why it's so important for the Christian to enter prayer, right? The Bible tells us that certain things that actually can sabotage our prayers, right? I'm gonna run through them really quick, um, but I want you to hear it because it's not about you walking around with a list that you need to get right before you go pray. It's about dropping these burdens in front of the Lord in prayer. There's a difference, you get where I'm coming from? Wrong motives. James 4, 3 says this, says, when you ask and you do not receive, he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may be, you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What he's saying is selfish motives, right? We want God oftentimes to just be like a genie in the bottle, right? We come rub that thing. God, I'm trying to get, I need this Tesla. I need it. Make it happen, right? Or whatever it is. Or like, I really like girlfriend. She ain't feeling me. Take a heart and turn that thing or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Whatever that case may be or whatever. It's so many different things inside of our heart or whatever. And like, we, we, we approach it for us. Unconfessed sin. Isaiah 59, 2 says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. 
Prayer is where we take our mess, right? You don't get clean so you can go pray. You, you bring it before you. When we, look at the, when we look at the tax collector in the temple with the, with the Pharisee, the Pharisee is running off his list of all his things. I pay my tithes. I do this. I do that. God, I thank you. I'm not like these other people. He's boasting in his self-righteousness. But it says that the tax collector who, who feels so dirty, he won't even approach the altar, but from the distance, beats on his chest and says, Lord, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And Jesus says, homeboy going home clean. You get where I'm coming from? So coming to prayer, leaning into prayer, with reverence for God is the place that we get to drop our burdens at. This is, this, is, this is mental health work all day long. Just lay your burdens down. Our pride. He says, it says in James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Right? It says, but he gives us more grace. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. When we come before God, we humble ourselves. We're saying, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, I feel distant. You ever prayed that prayer? God, I just feel a million miles away from you. Right? I say that one a lot. James 1.6 deals with doubt. It says, but when you ask, you must receive and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Doesn't mean that you... Don't struggle with understanding all the nuances of what you're dealing with in life, but it's saying that you're sure about the person you're putting the prayer in front of. You know who you're putting your doubts in front of. God, I'm not sure with this. I'm struggling with my own belief. God, I need you to do something. That's a beautiful prayer. To say to God, God, I'm struggling with my faith. I'm feeling a little weird towards you right now, but I, I know you're still God enough for me that I'm this is who I'm bringing it to, right? That's humility to do that. I didn't understand this when I was younger. Sometimes it's not the right time for what you want. My kids will take ice cream every single day. I'm gonna always get them ice cream, but sometimes this ain't the right time. You get where I'm coming from? And they don't know what it's like paying these dentist bills for them. So I'll be, you, look, so you know what I'm talking about. Them dentist bills get crazy. I'm like, yo, the tooth is like this big, B. How's this $3,000 to remove it? They got a little gigabyte right there. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? It's three Gs to get this thing removed? Oh, my God. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways. My ways declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, but not my will but your will be done. That's why he put the exclamation point, because he's like, for us, I'm like, God, I got, a, I got a way I want it to work out. But there's a way that seems right to man, but the Bible says the end thereof is death. Some of the things that God would have granted me over time or whatever, it would have destroyed me. And there's things that I prayed, right? There's things that I prayed. That's why patience is such a gangster, beautiful thing. And sometimes you can't really learn it until, until you start to grow and mature a little bit. But there's things that I prayed when I came to the Lord over 20 years ago that are still happening right now. It just wasn't the time. It wasn't that God didn't hear. 
just wasn't the time. Do you get where I'm coming from? And there are some things that I prayed for that as I grew in the Lord, I actually didn't even want them. Right? I didn't know what I was asking for. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't actually want to do that no more. And that thing I asked for, I wanted because I wanted to be the boss of the world or whatever and stun on everybody. And I don't actually, and I've romanticized it with all the good things I was going to do with it. But like, I don't want that, Lord. Right? James 4, 2, he says this. He says, you, ha- you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Some people just never ask. They don't esteem God to ask, right? It's talking about a bigger heart picture in this thing when it goes to the idea of killing, but it's talking about robbing, stealing, taking, making it happen, and not believing God is even God. No respect, no esteem. This is what Job is completely the opposite of because Job is like, yo, homie, I ain't did none of that. I see God a certain way, know God a certain way. Nah, we ain't do that. We ain't do that. His statement is not a thing of self-righteousness. It's a statement of knowing the Lord. Y'all with me? I'm going to end with this right here. My prayer is for us to grow in prayer, right? But the thing is this right here. This is what I want you to know. God beckons us into prayer. And the red carpet he rolls out is grace. The same way he saved us. He calls us into prayer through, like, it's grace. That's the road into prayer. The Bible says we are saved by grace. And this is a gift from God, not something that we actually did. There is nothing for you to do to walk into a place of prayer and posture before God into that intimate relationship. There's nothing for you to do. Just believe that he's God. That's the only work that that calls for. The same way your salvation happened, a gift from God, God wooing your heart, he is wooing you right now to a deeper place in your prayer. Our church needs prayer. I need prayer dearly, right? I got a broken refrigerator right now, a tree in the backyard or whatever, washer's not working, a car that needs some, like, I need some prayer out here. You understand what I'm saying? Health issues or whatever, we need prayer. People in this community need prayer. Your brothers and sisters next to you need prayer. They need prayer. Maybe they ain't telling you everything. They need prayer. They need prayer, all right? I want us to be a church that prays. One, I want you to have it for your relationship with the Lord. Intimacy, right? But also, God moves on our prayers. He cares for us. He hears us. He loves us. He wants us to know, I got the whole trip covered. You understand? I got the whole trip covered. Don't come at me, yo, sorry I had to burden you. Take your burdens and lay them before the Lord because he cares and he loves you, Bill Church.